And we are back with another episode of the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. I'm Derek Rackley joining you once again, and I'll do my best to steer this ship for the next day, call it 20 or 30 minutes. I've got my guys back this week too. Dave Archer and DJ Shockley after a bye week of their own. They are back and um, they gave me a heads up, by the way. They are ready to just jump in with some just <laughs> mind-breaking stuff here. But before we get to those guys, let's talk about what we've got on the docket for today. Of course, we're going to dive into the previous game between the Falcons and the Saints. Falcons come up short in that game 24-9 to New Orleans. We will talk about whether or not the guys have any concern from the offensive line and all the pressure that's coming in the backfield for Matt Ryan and that offense. We'll talk a little bit about Sean Payton and does he like to troll the Falcons after mm. wins or just after things that he sees on the internet and whether or not they <laughs> like that tactic? We'll get into that in a little bit more. And then obviously one of the biggest news coming out is maybe some little bit of a developments in the general manager search for the Atlanta Falcons. So we'll get the guys take on that with some of the names that are starting to surface a little bit. So with that, let's get right into it. Let's talk about this um, Falcon Saints game from this weekend. And I'm going to start with the guys to give me a headline and maybe a little bit of background behind their headline from this past weekend. So, Shock, I'm going to put you on blast here first. Give us a headline from the Falcon Saints game last weekend, what you saw in the biggest headline. If you were a, a big-time news reporter with a newspaper that's going out all over the country, what would it have read after this game? Falcons lose on the perimeter. And I think that's a big, big part of what happened in that ball game. If you look at how this game kind of transpired, you look at some of the key spots in the ball game. And some of the skill position, uh, I say spots in the ball game. I think the Falcons lost on the perimeter. You think about the defensive backs in this ball game. There were a lot of 50-50 balls. There were a lot of times the Falcons were in main coverage, and the Saints won those battles. There were a lot of times on the offensive side of the ball where you needed guys to win one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. Uh, you needed routes to to, to kind of open up, and guys weren't winning those matchups. So I think on the perimeter. The Saints came in and were the more aggressor on that side of the ball, on both sides of the ball, actually. So the perimeter for me was a big part of this game, and the Falcons just did not stand up to what the Saints had going on. Yeah, I like that, Shock. It's it's a it's actually I'm gonna go next, Arch, if you don't mind, because I feel sure. like it's a pretty good contrast because my headline for this game would be unrivaled. And you know, since we're on podcast, there's a colon right there. Unrivaled oh, oh. Saints overpower Falcons <laughs> as Taysom Hill shines as the starting quarterback. But mine, Shock, oddly enough, has to do with a little bit more of the lines of scrimmage. Like I felt like the Saints ended up dominating the Falcons on the line of scrimmage. That defensive front and the linebackers for New Orleans, they lived in the backfield for Atlanta. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the offensive line, but they got beat up front. They got beat running the football on offense. I think the Saints tripled the Falcons as far as rushing goes. Now, granted, a lot of that happens when you get behind as a team, you're forced to throw the football more, right. but the Falcons became more predictable because they had to throw the football. So guess what happens? You pin your ears back as a defense and you start rushing after the quarterback. So I actually felt like it was a little bit more in between the tackles. So Arch, maybe not so much breaking the tie here, but what side of the fence do you lean on? What's your headline from this game? What stuck out to you the most? Headline is look out. <laughs> that's the headline. Cause that's what Matt Ryan was doing all night long. Look out. Okay. They're coming. How about the other side of the ball running the football? Look out. They're running right at you. I mean, it was, it was a lookout scenario. Yeah. It, they, you got overpowered physically. I think that was the game uh, within the game. Uh, certainly with some of the stuff shock talked about helped contribute to that. Uh, the inability to win downfield potentially. 
there was uncertainty. Uh, there was just confusion. Uh, yeah, look out would have been my headline ah. of the game. Hey, Dave, let me go right back to you because we didn't get a chance to really discuss this much, but one of the biggest storylines coming out of the game was the fact that it was Taysom Hill starting at quarterback and not Jameis Winston. What did you think of the performance of Taysom Hill? Granted, they feel like they can do a little bit more with him. They're okay with him running the football. They're okay with him taking a little bit of contact. But as I was watching the game, I was quite impressed by this guy that's been more of a change-up type back, if you will, a true athlete for the Saints actually settled in and looked like a pretty good quarterback for them. Well, I think if you take it in the context with what you put put it in, yeah, he had a nice day. I, As far as shining goes, he didn't do anything in the first half. He threw a jump ball in the first half that was caught down near the Falcon 10-yard line when Deion Jones decided to exit the building. I don't know where he was going ah. in coverage, but he decided to run yeah. out of the end zone. So, Sanders catches the football and almost gets stripped after review it almost gave up the football down there. I didn't think he did anything in the first half. They were one for six or one for five on third down. They were unable to run the football. Atlanta controlled the game, just didn't punch it in when they first got down there. In fact, Taysom Hill's first series, they go three and out. And he think he threw a grounder in the right flat to somebody. So because of Atlanta's inefficiency on offense, they allowed him to be begin to settle in. This was a limited package of plays Sean Payton had in for him. It was keeper game. It was play action. It was sprint out. That's all he had in the game plan. Okay, but because Atlanta's inefficiency on offense, now all of a sudden as a play caller, I'm saying, okay, we're good. Our defense is controlling the game. Now I'm going to give him another little package of plays to go with. Now I'm going to give him this. And he started to settle in and get into the game. And then what really settled him in, in my opinion, was you got him involved in what he does best, and that's run the football. Exactly. He ran downhill with their quarterback run game and his little scramble out of the pocket, outstanding scramble. But that we knew that he could do that, right? But I think Atlanta allowed Taysom Hill to shine, if you will. I'll let you use your word, shine. <laughs> I didn't necessarily see that, but I do think that uh, – I do think that he did settle in the game and played a nice football game. Yeah, Arch, and I guess my comment back to you would be, and DJ, you can comment on this too, but I look just looking at his numbers, and yes, it wasn't necessarily flashy, but 18 of 23 for a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of experience as that head – as, as the leader of the offense, the starting quarterback in the NFL, I thought it was a pretty efficient performance mm -hmm. for him. Yes, it I didn't look great at all times, but Shock, were you a little surprised that the, their offense, especially in the second half, to Arch's point, was able to execute as well as they were against Atlanta? I thought it was a growing process. And, you know, if, if you guys listen to Arch on uh, the call, it was one of those situations where early in the ball game, I thought Sean Payton was trying to outthink what he had going on on the offense. Because there were times they had a couple chances in the red zone and Arthur is on the call. You already have the guy in the ball game who is that gadget kind of guy who you bring in on red zone and short yardage situations and you use him as the guy who can, you know, run those wildcat things. And there were a couple times they motioned him out and used Alvin Kamara or they used somebody else in that position and they kind of out-coached themselves. And then later in the ball game, it looked like Sean Payne said, screw that. Let's use what we have. And that's when they started to really click. And then you think about it, they got him some of those easy completions. Arch mentioned getting him on the outside, getting him on the edge. He had some nice, easy completions on that side, some hitch routes, some uh, comebacks that he threw. And you can see the confidence growing inside the pocket. And we weren't able to get to him either. So if he has time inside the pocket, he's completing five, six-yard passes down the field. His guys are making plays for him. Michael Thomas came up big for him a couple of times. He's going to grow as a quarterback. So uh, any guy who 
hasn't played the position fully for an extended amount of time, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I thought as the game progressed, he grew as a passer, he grew confidence-wise, and he grew in the system, and Sean Payton allowed him to be that guy. You know, we talked, fellas, so much about the strength of Atlanta this year. And I even on the podcast last week, I talked about Atlanta's uh, their, their scoring rate this year should call for a much better record than what they currently sit at, right? The 27 points per game going into last week should be more than three wins on the season, right? But this is something that we've talked about all season. Now, Dave, I want to get back to your point because you said that part of the reason the Saints ended up settling down and getting into their groove in the second half was because of the Falcons' inability ability to push the envelope inability to stay balanced on offense and put points on the board and a lot of that if anybody was watching this game had to do with the fact that Matt Ryan was watch out the entire game right throwing everything off of his heels Arch what type of concern like if, if you had a zero to ten scale on the protection up front for the offensive line in front of Matt Ryan as far as your concern zero would be not concerned ten would be very concerned where do you sit for the offensive line I'd probably sit at a seven I'm at a seven right now for them. Let's let's be clear on the eight sacks now. Not all of that was on the offensive line. I think we get caught up and see our quarterback under duress, or as I termed it on the radio, under siege is what it felt like. Felt like he was under siege the entire time, and walls were being knocked down everywhere, and people were running through at him, and that was certainly the case. Um, I thought that there was a lack of ability to sustain protection to allow him to settle in. But I thought New Orleans did an incredible job, and Shockville talked a little bit about this. And they did an incredible job of covering Atlanta's receivers. That's something they've never been able to do. They've never been able to cover Atlanta down the field. They've always been able to rush the passer, but they've never been able to cover. So Matt's been able to get the ball out. They deployed a cover. They put too high and played two-man coverage and ran underneath everything. And Ryan's trying to throw the football and he's holding the ball. Matt held the ball way too long in the game. I'm sure he's kicking himself some as he goes back and looks at it and said, did I see that correctly? Is that why I held onto the ball? That's what we always do as quarterbacks. Remember, Rack, you go back and look at the tape to verify why you did that, you know, and shock, that's why we do those kind of things. But I think that there was a number of times where Ryan could have gotten the ball out. He didn't trust what he saw because it was such a different look from New Orleans from a coverage standpoint. And I think that's why New Orleans gave Tampa a lot of problems in game one of the season and blew them out of their own building because they're doing some different things in the back end that's complementing their pass rush. Yeah, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, of course, formerly with the Falcons franchise. That's where he got his start, doing a great job coordinating the defense, keeping things different each and every week. I think it's great that we've got two quarterbacks on this podcast because even though Matt Ryan is a MVP player and he's one of the best quarterbacks, and maybe when it's all said and done, he'll be go down as one of the top 10 to ever play the position, DJ you have to sometimes come back and be critical because Dave says it's not all about the offensive line. It was more about what the saints were doing and maybe Matt was getting holding onto the football too long, but maybe we need to talk about the entire protection as a whole, right? So offensive line, tight ends, running backs, and Matt Ryan's decision-making to get rid of the ball. Like where is your concern meter on the pass protection for the Atlanta Falcons, DJ? It's similar. Uh, you look at how this game kind of played out and there were situations where you went third and long, uh, a couple of times in this ball game, you knew you weren't going to be able to hold up. You knew the, the routes had to go a little bit deeper. You knew the backs had to be in protection, so that means less guys are out. And there were a couple of times in the ball game where the Falcons with two-man route concepts because they're trying to hold up. 
and you still aren't able to throw the football down the field because you have two-man route concepts and they have four or five guys on the back end, so that limits where you can go with the football. It was tough watching because as a QB, obviously we're not in uh, the moment that Matt was in, but as watching it, it looks like there were times where the ball could have been thrown. It looks like there's times where guys should have won those one-on-one matchups. There's times where the guard, the center, the tackle, whoever it was, could have held that block for a second longer or could have used their feet or hands a little bit better. So I'm in the same boat on the offensive line has to play better, but then also you have to play better in the run game as well. This is an offense that absolutely Absolutely. predicates itself on playing in the play action game. You have to be able to run the football. When you run the football for, what, 52 yards or something in the ball game, that's not going to get it. On the road, you have to be able to have a balanced attack and knowing the Saints knew you could not run the football. You weren't moving them up front. It made it a little bit easier in the pass game, and they knew they could get off the ball. Yeah, yeah maybe this will be. That's with a too high safety look, too, guys. And you guys, we all sat in meetings as offensive players, and coaches said you cannot allow a team to play too high safeties and protect in the back end, and you can't run the football. Yep, so it's yep. essentially at most a seven-man box. You have to be able to run it against that, and Atlanta could not do that. New Orleans came in fourth in the league against the run, and that held up with them allowing them to play play coverage, and that just can't happen. Yeah. And guys, you know, I, I, I'm kind of an old school one here because of, you know, I was, and Dave knows this, I was around in the Alex Gibbs regime with Warwick Dunn and it was, you get the football and you go downhill. One thing I don't like what I'm seeing, and maybe this is a discussion for another day. And, and I don't know if you guys saw this, if you agree with me or not, but it seems like every time Todd Gurley is getting the football, he's stopping his feet. He's chomping. He's trying to like sort things out in front of him. I'm wondering if that's why we saw more of Hill and Smith towards the end of the game, because those guys were getting the ball and they were going downfield they were going full speed in between the tackles I just feel like there's a little bit too much dancing going on with Todd Gurley right now instead of going downhill full speed using his strength using his physicality to break some tackles because I agree with you if they can't run the football more consistently you're going to make an attacking defense pin their ears back start salivating a little bit because they get to rush the passer so maybe we'll get into that a little bit more on another episode if it ends up manifesting itself throughout the season but I agree with you guys they've got to be able to run the football more effectively just like you said Arch you got to take them out of that too high safety look otherwise they're going to stay back there they'll play two man all day rush five and be perfectly perfectly content if they're getting pressure on the quarterback so let's step back a little bit because we know our Falcons digital media department likes to have some fun here on social media they like to kind of poke the bear a little bit where they get their opportunities (laughs) well in a rivalry matchup when you don't win you don't get a chance to poke the bear a little bit actually the bear gets a chance to poke Uh. back and if there's one bear in this situation it's been Sean Payton and I'm sure you guys may have saw that he ended up not really commenting but it was he just retweeted Roddy White's <laughs> tweet after the game about how Roddy said that they were going to pound the Saints with a backup quarterback. And afterwards, it was just a simple little arrows, right? Sean <laughs> retweets that like, uh, I see what you're doing, but that didn't happen. I, it's uh, it's kind of like one of those things. Uh, Arch, what did you think of it? Do, do you like it? Do you like how Sean Payton stirs the pot? Is this not your cup of tea? What did you think? Yeah, you know, you know what I the whole social media part of it uh, is an interesting uh, development for a head football coach in this league, right? Because most of these guys are really wrapped up. It might give you an indication of how Sean's coaching the team from a looseness standpoint. If he's willing to do that, 
then there's a looseness within their within their organization, within their locker room, which I think probably bodes well for them because it's a high-pressure job. He's without a doubt, in my mind, the best game day play caller and adjuster on the offensive side of the football, hands down. I, I, I said that on the radio. I firmly believe that. I think he does an unbelievable job of putting his guys in position. Taysom Hill is a classic example, the way the game unfolded, how he could kind of coax him along. And we allowed that to happen some, but he did that. But as far as the social media part of it, I think there's an arrogance attached to this guy. And that arrogance comes out, whether it's really <laughs> quietly like you did there, or maybe a little bit more abrupt. Um, this is, it's what makes you dislike the Saints. Okay, <laughs> He's part of why you don't like the Saints. At least that's for me. And, and I like that from a rivalry standpoint. I don't see him doing it to anybody else. It's just kind of to the Falcons and some of the people around the Falcons. So I dig it. I think it kind of makes the, makes the ramps the rivalry up even more. And this is the rivalry that people forget about that's probably as fever pitch as any rivalry in the National Football League. Dave, you mentioned that that he does it to the Falcons. I thought the same thing. Like, I feel like if that game is with what thirty other teams in the NFL, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he, yeah. It just he'll just scroll right past that, right? But yeah. because it was the Falcons game, and because he saw an opportunity, as I mentioned, to poke the bear, DJ, it just seems like with Sean Payton in this instance. Now he's done it a couple of other times, taking his digs at the Falcons, but in this instance, it was almost like the whole phrase that you've heard silence speak volumes <laughs> that's kind of what I thought about that after I saw it shock yeah and you know what for one it, it makes him human it makes him uh you know we always hear all the time these coaches never hear anything in the media they never hear anything what people are talking about I mean, it shows you exactly that these guys do pay attention I cover college football in the SEC one guy who this tweet reminds me of Lane Kiffin, who is always <laughs> on Twitter, always has something to say, and it's funny. And I'll be honest, if this is the other way around, we know how passionate Falcons fans are. I got buddies who are diehard Falcons fans, and they will go to the grave for the Falcons. And <laughs> if this would have happened and we beat the Saints, trust me, you're talking about talking some cash money. These dudes are going to let it fly. So on the other side of it, you got to get him before he gets you. That's kind of how it goes. And I know if the Falcons fans had a chance to get him, they would. I guarantee you, if we'd have won that ball game, there'd have been tons more acts, Sean Payton, in a lot of this, uh, in the social media world. So I, I don't mind it, man. He's it's, it's human. He's trying to have a good thing with his team. And like I already said, hey, you know he brings it up with his fellas. He brings it up with his team. And I guarantee if the Falcons had the chance to do it, anybody, the fans, they would definitely be at it. And you yeah, guys, like hey, he, like, hey guys, think about this real quickly. Just can you imagine if there was social media with Jerry Glanville and Buddy Ryan? <laughs> can you imagine those two guys? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this would be tame compared to what oh, those guys gosh. used to do. They'd release stuff Absolutely. in the media to try to get it out there. It'd be a lot of fun to see those two guys in a social media setting. Them dudes would be getting blocked in all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you they start thinking about some stuff. of the old ones. I think about, uh, to your point, Arch, what about like a Jimmy Johnson, a Barry yeah. Switzer? Like if they would have been 
on on social media back in the day. I mean, they were they would have been causing some fights because I don't think those guys could just throw a joke like they'd throw something out and it would be it'd be on the next time on the field. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the first time it happened with Sean Payton. Of course, when the Falcons released some stuff about their uniforms, he put out a very clever little twenty eight to three kind of almost like a like poetry, if you will. But it was uh, very slick and how he threw that reference in there. But as you guys mentioned, he likes to have fun with his team. He likes to relate, and I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little fun in a business that is so many times so serious and all about jobs and, and paying, you know, paying bills. And this is about my family. He's saying, you know what, at the end of the day, guys, we can still have some fun in the national football league. Now we're going to turn gears a little bit because I talked at the top of this, that the GM search for the Atlanta Falcons is starting to pick up steam a little bit. So we wanted to kind of dive in and get the guys thoughts on it. Now there's been some names that have been reported here. Of course, Rick Smith has been reported by Jason Lock and Fora that he's a potential candidate. And then three others from Adam Schefter have been reported as well. Uh, Reggie McKenzie, former general manager of the Oakland Raiders. And then a couple of guys that are in the personnel departments right now, kind of up and budding stars, if you will. Champ Kelly from the Bears organization. And then Brad Holmes as well from the Rams organization are names that are just starting to surface in reports a little bit. So I wanted to get your guys' take on this. I know it's early. I know there's not really a whole lot out there, but there's a couple of guys that we at least know some background from their days as a general manager. But if there was one thing that stuck out to me, Arch, on this one, is that you have four African-American candidates Mm -hmm. right now. So it looks like Arthur Blank and the rest of the organization is putting diversity, at least for now, at the top of their search process. Well, it's something that Mr. Blank believes very deeply in. You look at his organization. That's who his organization's been from top to bottom. That's that's just who he is. And he's all-inclusive. He wants to get the best possible candidate. And these three guys are right at the top of the list that you just mentioned. So... When you look at these guys, I think the first thing that comes from to mind for me as a player or as as a as a fan would be okay, who is he? Who has he gone and gotten for before? So I can identify with some of the names and the personnel. We'll talk about that throughout this candidacy or this this job search as we move forward. You know, like the Khalil Max of the world, uh, Mari Cooper, Derek Carr under Reggie McKenzie's name, uh, Rick Smith, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt. Uh, 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 Mercy, Whitney, Merc- Whitney Merceland, Sean Watson. So there's names that you can identify with. You kind of sink your teeth into. And then what is their philosophy? And that's one that we'll dig in deeper to. And, and, and stay tuned to AtlantaFalcons.com because there's going to be a lot as we get closer and closer to naming guy or closer and closer to finding out who the true candidates for this are. Then you'll find out through AtlantaFalcons.com. There'll be a there'll be a deep dive on all these guys and what their what their philosophies are and how they attack uh, acquiring personnel and those type of things and how they blend with coaches. So keep an eye up on that. I like the four names I've heard so far. I think there will be some other names that have surfaced. There's a lot of success attached to all four. Uh, and uh, again, I, I, it doesn't surprise me that Mr. Blank has taken this approach because that's who he is and that's what his organization's all about. Yeah, DJ, we don't know a ton about the guys like Champ Kelly and Brad Holmes unless you've kind of been in that personnel department life, if you will. A lot of times you have to just take a step back and say, okay, what's the organization that they've been involved with? Who have right. they worked under? What right. has that organization's mindset been when they approach free agency? They approach the draft. And then what type of team have they put together? What type of product do they have on the field? Because obviously if you're the GM or you're working in the personnel department, 
you are intimately involved in the actual players that are out on the field winning games for you. But DJ, I just want to get your take. Like when you first saw this list of the four candidates, was there, was there anything that stuck out to you that was interesting, that intrigued you, that excited you moving forward about this search? Yeah, there, there were two things. One was, does any of you guys have any familiarity with the team, the state, uh, and one guy in Brad Holmes who interned actually with the Hawks, uh, interesting enough, has some kind of concept with him. And if you think about Rick Smith, a guy who's actually coached. And when you talk about guys and that have intimate kind of relationships with players, how int more intimate can be a guy who actually coached in the league and understands what it takes day in and day out to get these guys playing at a high level. So there, there's definitely a bunch of uh, – scenarios or situations you look at for these particular guys and how they fit, like you mentioned, organizational-wise. But for me, how in tuned are you to the actual players? Not just understanding where they come from and what they do, but what happens on a daily basis with these guys and how to get the most out of them. And you can figure that out by knowing who they are and where they've been. Yeah, and I think that uh, it, it's important to note, too, that these are just four of the guys that have been mentioned so far in reports, again, by Jason LaConfort and Adam Schefter. There might be additional candidates that end up surfacing. I wouldn't say this is the be-all, end-all list right now, but at least it's somewhat encouraging for fans, maybe even people in that actual building, to know that, okay, there are at least a couple of people that have been targeted potentially uh, by the Atlanta Falcons. and that either, got either, either one of you guys ever thought about being a GM? I mean, you, you guys know enough about balding throw your hat in the ring what's up i just it was checking my phone and i'm not getting any text or any calls but <laughs> i mean i wouldn't be i wouldn't be opposed to it uh, arch have you gotten any personnel calls lately no but the calls i am i am getting are calls about me coming in and smashing watermelons before this week's game against the, <laughs> against the raiders style. so i'm excited to do that I, I think i've got i'm gonna go out and buy myself a sledgehammer uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing the Gallagher thing here at the house, trying to really be really targeted and, and nail the cantaloupes and the, and all that type of stuff, and so I can be dialed in for Raheem Morris when he calls me in this weekend for the Raider talk. Whatever well, listen, gets listen. If it doesn't happen this weekend, here's what we can we can do, Arch. Bring it for the podcast next week. You can practice right here. Nice. I'm sure Shock and myself and everybody else that's watching would love for you to go ahead and practice right here. It would make for some great so, entertainment. Hey, Rack. You know what I, I think would be easy for Arch. And he can do it even with his hand. Let's, if people don't understand what happens before we get on, but the last couple of weeks, our man Dave Archer's had a couple issues with this microphone. And the microphone brings out the anger in Dave Archer. So I think if his microphone does not fit next week, it fits, right? If it doesn't work, Bring, Bring out, out the, the watermelons. watermelons. <laughs> yeah, I'll smash that the watermelons point. with my microphone. Now, I, will, I will have to go out on the deck because my wife's not going to let me do that in the house. I'm going to have to go outside to do that. <laughs> uh, if, his, if he gets microphone troubles next week, he won't need a sledgehammer, a hammer, or nothing. He'll just use this and smash it everywhere. Hey, <laughs> Paul, put his paws oh, on the guys. watermelon. Oh, that's good stuff right there. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Of course, the Falcons back at home this weekend. They're going to face... The Las Vegas Raiders, and we'll see if they're able to learn from that New Orleans Saints tape, turn things around and come back with a W. Because if they do, and Arch has microphone problems again, <laughs> he'll still be in a better mood after a Falcons victory. No doubt. All right, on behalf of DJ Shockley and Dave Archer, I'm Derek Rackley. Thanks so much for watching the Falcons Audible presented by AT&T. We'll be back same time, same place, right next week, right back here on the Falcons Audible. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you. You're listening to Falcons Audible. Presented by AT&T.